Welcome to Bark's Podcast, featuring news, interviews, and information from the pet industry, bringing you news about the latest events and seminars, as well as interviews from some of the best in force-free and behavioral science-based training. We aim to create a fun, educational, and informative podcast that is member-focused. So come along and join us. Bring your questions, expertise, and a dash of humor. And this is Nikki Tudge, who is flying solo today because my colleague and fellow presenter, Louise Stapleton-Brappel, is currently experiencing really bad internet thanks to the pandemic and her living situation in Spain. So let's get right to it. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about canine arthritis. And we have a very special guest from a nonprofit organization in the UK called Canine Arthritis Management. Our guest is Dr. Hannah Capon. And I have to say, I had the pleasure of listening to Dr. Hannah speak on this very topic at the PPG Virtual Summit in April 2020, and it was absolutely fascinating. I really had no idea how much I did not know and how vast and important this topic is to our dogs and their quality of life. Arthritis, osteoarthritis, is the most common cause of chronic pain in dogs, and it actually affects four out of five older dogs. It's a disabling, non-curable, and progressive disease, which focuses initially on moving joints, but eventually affects the whole dog. It's a major cause of euthanasia due to loss of quality of life. And as an extremely complex disease, it does require a dedicated owner collaborating well with their vet to control the pain, maximize the pet's mobility, and ensure a full and active life for their dog, which is what all of us as pet owners absolutely yearn for. So let's get to it. Today we're talking about canine arthritis management. Hello, how are you? Hello, I'm very well. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. Yeah, we were just talking before we started recording, and it was a really good conversation. So hopefully we can generate some of that same vibe as we go on. Yeah, we've got a lot to talk about, haven't we? Yeah. Well, I, I have to tell you, um, and I we just did it. I was talking to someone the other day, and I said, you know what? When I when we did the virtual summit and I jumped on, well, first of all, thank you to Dr. Kathy Murphy for referring you to us so that we could actually grab. I, and she's awesome. Yeah. And she is an awesome person to know. Yeah, so that was fabulous. Um, and and when I was, and I, obviously, I jumped on all of those eight sessions just to sort of get a feel for what they were, and a couple of them I hosted. Um, and I jumped on yours and thought, oh, kin and arthritis management. Okay, this is probably going to be, a, you know, very sort of factual and. And I jumped on for 10 minutes and I actually stayed on it. And after I finished it, I said to a friend of mine, I said, you have got to go listen to that webinar. It was fascinating. And I actually felt, yeah. like, I felt like a moron because I've had dogs for years. And I thought, bloody hell, I should have known some of this stuff. This is ridiculous that we don't know this stuff. I know. And that's, to be fair, like I am very much on the learning journey. And I think that's one of the things that helps people feel comfortable in the cam world is that there isn't any kind of you know academic arrogance because all of us are very much on our learning journey um 
Yeah, it's huge, isn't it? It's crazy. And it kind of is glued together by so many different disciplines, influence management. And unfortunately for me, I felt that it's been taught in a very 2D um, uni-discipline manner. So when I got taught about arthritis at university in the early 2000s, you know, I qualified in 2002. It was etiology, pathogenesis, clinical signs, you know, treatment options, um, prognosis. And that's pretty dreary. Yeah. But that was the, the uniform way that we learned. You know, that we, we learn about so many diseases and right. you have to have a structure to be able to learn them. Right. But it didn't really uncover how vast this disease is. and. You know, I see I see cases where dogs are, you know, four months old mm-hmm. all the way through to dogs that are still going strong at 15 and they're just beginning to show the signs. Mm-hmm. So it affects so many different age groups, so many different breeds. It's got so many reasons for being with us um, and it's got so many different presentations. It's fascinating. Is there a connection between dysplasia, hip dysplasia and arthritis? Is it sort of? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, because there's a... I think couple of things that resonate with me. The very first dog I got was when I first moved back to the States in 2000. And I'd been overseas and I never wanted a dog because I felt it was unfair to cast it all over the world. So literally within a month of being in the States, I, I got my dog. And um, I was a runner and also was interested in doing dog agility. And when she was six months old, I took her to an agility conference and the presenter said to me, you need to get your dog checked for dysplasia. I said, well, she's six months old. She said, I don't care how old she is. Look at the way she's walking. She had, she was walking in that way where she looked like she had a knickers around her ankles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the waddle. Yeah. So I took her to the, and she was a Kelpie. So I took her to the vet and the vet said, oh, my God. And she said, I just can't believe how bad it is. And I was like, oh, my God. And we discussed what we were going to do. It was lifelong management and pain medications. And she died at 13. I Good was, on you. Well done. Well, and it was and it was interesting, and I God, I hate to say this because people might judge this, but it was a real balance between management and painkillers and quality of life. Because I didn't want a dog that wasn't able to walk, go for walks, or chase the ball, all the things that she loved doing. So we had to sort of mitigate some of those things. And she did. Yes, and that's what it's about, though. It is a balance. There's. There's lots of people that are practicing like this gold standard approach and forgetting that this is, well, it's, it's, to me, it's very like the biopsychosocial model in the human medicine in that, you know, we've got to consider the human component of what they want. We've got the, the psychology of the dog, this, you know, what do they want as well as the disease process? So, yeah, it, that you have got to have a dog that's still got a great quality of life. Yeah. But it is about moderation a lot of it has to be considered and moderated right is it possible and again and obviously i'm always going to bring things back to sort of my experience because that's what i relate to i had um two years ago i had foot surgery because for a year i hadn't been able to run and i'm i haven't been to see a doctor in 10 years i mean i'm just dreadful i I just I, i just don't see doctors and the only reason i went is because i thought god i can't i can't literally do my own surgery everything else i had tried everything else um and he fixed my foot and six months later, I was back on the road again. But when I went to my final appointment to say, can I start now doing some physio? And is it going to be 100%? And is it going to be pain free? He said to me, well, I can't, I can't solve the arthritis problem you've got. And I said, I don't have arthritis. And he picks up the x-ray and goes, yes, you do. And I had really bad arthritis in both my feet. And I wasn't even aware of it. 
So, oh, yeah. So it makes me wonder if, if with dogs, when they get arthritis, if it can, can it get to a certain level without us even knowing it because either they don't have the pain yet or they mitigate it by not allowing us to see the signs? Because I've obviously been walking around without arthritis for months, if not years, and was not, now I get pain every day because now I'm bloody aware of it. And now I feel it all the time. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating though? Yes, that, that, that is fascinating. Is fascinating. Yeah, I think um, we're definitely in the veterinary field beginning to understand a lot more about the cognitive and affective component of pain, um, where we have for years and years just focused on like the physiological aspects of pain, of how it how it is produced and how it gets to the brain. But we're now beginning to really understand about the emotional impacts pain can have and also the impact of emotions on pain right and as you said you're now that aware that you have arthritis that means that your brain's done a load of things of going oh my god it's a long-term disease it's never going to go away it should hurt oh it, it does hurt well, wow i heard you say that on your webinar and i, I i'm not going to quote you accurately but you made some comment about that pain is in the brain because obviously that's where the transmitters are which is probably, and so I thought to myself, okay, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, absolutely. Which is why when you go out running as an example, at seven, eight miles, you know, you're going out to do 15, you can go, forget it, forget it, forget it. I've got to push through it. I've got to push through it. I've got to push through it. So even though you recognize it's there, you can still push through it, can't you? You can sort of almost yeah. get into a meditative state where you sort of get rid of it. And or then, you go the other way and you go, I can't do it. I can't right. do it. I can't do it. Right. Yeah, so there is, I think pain is just, it's, it's fascinating, and I'm not a specialist, I'm not an expert, I'm just very interested in it, and um, what I'm really interested in is how we can come up with really good management plans mm -hmm. for all owners, no matter their financial capabilities, what access they have to different, you know, um, utilities, um, what their physical capabilities for their dog. So for me, I think that a lady who's in her 70s and she's got a 40 kilo dog who's really struggling should have as many opportunities, I hope, mm -hmm. to influence her dog's quality of life and pain right. as somebody that's, you know, in their prime, they're on a really good wage bracket, they've got access to every single integrated therapy known to man. Right. Um, and they can carry the dog up and down the stairs, lifting it in, out of the car. I think all dog owners and their dogs should have access Mm -hmm. to good quality advice but I also really strongly feel that people need to know about it you know arthritis sadly is just synonymous with old age and it's not right. you know the biggest the biggest reason that dogs have arthritis is developmental reasons with their joints mm -hmm. and that comes early right. so we did a really brilliant Facebook live with Duncan ourselves can I just plug our Facebook lives quickly yeah. well I just have no, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, we do we do Facebook lives on the CAM platform. They're free of charge. Uh, I really yeah. really believe that owners and professionals, if you don't know something that's a problem, you're not going to pay for it. So we're kind of giving it all away free, so that people can understand it's a problem that they need to know about. They can learn about it and they yeah. can apply it. Yeah. So there's a really great Facebook live that I did with a real academic hero of mine called Duncan Lascelles. And he's he's really saying to the world, can we stop linking this to just old age? This is a disease of the young. That's where it starts. Right. And, you know, that's where talking to people like you is so important because you're training these dogs. Right. So the dogs that are slow to learn, lazy, 
difficult, mischievous. You know, is is there something else playing there? Right. And I've um, there was again another great Facebook live. Sam Lindley, dogs that um, are a little bit mischievous and difficult to train. Why are they distracted? Why do they not engage? Why do they not, you know, take to the normal training plan that has worked with other dogs? Is there a pain component? No, I mean, I, I mean, an example is that the dog owner that says my dog won't sit, and well, the, oh, there's, yeah. a, there's a reason the dog won't sit. If you have yeah mistake under a dog's nose and you lure them into a sit and the dog avoids sitting there is something physiologically going on there i mean that's, yeah, that's yeah. not normal is it it's just not normal for a dog to not be lured no. and i think it's things that really get my goat because i've been obsessed now since what 2013 the obsession brood so there's certain things that really flick my switch now and um people telling me that their dog is lazy i immediately go, is it or is it um my my dog is being difficult my dogs become grumpy and i'm like they're just not dogs are actually really amazing amazing we're so lucky to have them yeah um and i just i i wish people would give them the benefit of the doubt before labeling so there's been a study, it's a really good paper, you guys can access it. It's called Pain and Behaviour. Um, if you typed in Daniel Mills, Pain and Behaviour, you'll find it easily on Google. And it's a, um, a piece of work where clinical behaviourists, so these are clinical behaviourists, they're vets that are behaviourists, from around the world have put um, their work together. They've looked at, I think, 100 cases each and looked at the percentage that involve pain. Mm -hmm. And between them, anywhere between 28 and 82% of their workload has pain featuring in case management, case cause. Right. So it might be that it's a direct link. So behavior is a yeah. direct association of pain. Or it might be that the pain is making a behavior worse. Right. There's lots and lots of different ways it can play. But isn't that scary? 80% yeah, of their caseload is pain related. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, here we are talking about CAM. So let's talk about how CAM came about. So, I mean, obviously you didn't come out of veterinary school wanting to specialize in arthritis. So what <laughs> I'm always fascinated in the in the why and the passion and, and the story behind how it happened. So um, was it one incident? Was it a continual like overflow of case management or case studies of dogs had arthritis? And what was it? I think it was an overflow that then just basically tipped. Right. So I, I know where it really flicked was um, in 2013, I was working in Brighton. Um, I was working in a practice where I had back to back put sleeps. So one after the other. And they were both dogs that were in every shape and form well, bar the fact that they had no muscle on their back legs and they couldn't walk anymore. Right. And um, what really stood out is that these dogs had been in for vaccinations every year and these dogs weren't on a management plan. So basically their uh, capability, their posture, their behavior change, everything that they were shouting about to us mm. had not been acknowledged by not only the right. owner, but also the vet professional. Right. And I was like, Jesus, excuse me, that's just horrendous. It's yeah. just horrendous. Yeah. So um, at that point, I was well single always um paying a mortgage i'd love to have gone and done a physiotherapy degree but i just couldn't afford it so i stumbled across a course called garland myotherapy which was just beginning to you know 
teach you to understand about posture and behavior and soft tissue um, indications of discomfort and being able to kind of body map where problems are and then using massage to influence change. Right. And I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll start my change di of direction there. Oh my God, was that the biggest learning curve of all the things as a vet that I'd missed? Right. You know, dogs that at the age of eight start having anal gland issues. Well, why? Why would you at the age of eight start having anal gland? Was it because your pelvis was slightly tilted because of a posture change, which meant that you didn't engage in that same, you know, passage of feces through the colon and it caused the, you know, anal glands to express? So why would a dog start... Um, chewing around its hips you know why did it keep getting repeat hot spots right all of these things yeah, yeah. you know behavior change posture change yeah. capability change yeah and that's when I just couldn't let it go right <laughs> so, so what, what, when you say you couldn't let it go what did that look like did you just say okay I have to do something I've got to get an educational platform I need to put a website together or I mean or did you just start sort of educating and then the, the, the business side of it came after that I mean, how, how, how did that transition take place? Um, so I, I, I was working for a practice. So it was um, a, quite a private kind of stroke corporate practice. And I, um, I wanted to develop my service without the influence of others. So I started um, offering a service out of work where the vet, me, went to people's homes and taught them about their dog's condition as right. well as treated it with massage skills. And that's when more pieces of the puzzle started falling into place. I, I really didn't realize how little owners understood about behavior and how they didn't understand about observations of their dogs changing morphology. Mm -hmm. They didn't understand about exercise. They didn't understand about appropriate exercise. They didn't understand that their dog falling over repeatedly was painful. Right. They didn't understand that the dog slipping in the kitchen and then just getting up and moving off was harmful. Right. And, um, it, that was kind of like a whoa we've got quite a lot of work to do here mm -hmm. and so then I started kind of creating a approach um that I could repeat again and again to cover all bases and then it ended up becoming an hour and a half to two hour console and I practiced it for a couple of years mm -hmm. and at the same time found that I was saying the same thing again and again and again yeah. and I thought well actually let's let's help more people yeah. um I hope by the end of the podcast you'll realize that I care more about dogs than <laughs> anything. And I just couldn't bear to think of all these dogs that they have loving owners who really believe that they're doing everything they can for them, but they're just watching them hurt themselves again and again and again. So we, um, we me and my dog, we started a Facebook page mm -hmm. and I was getting permission from owners to take photos of their homes and adaptions that needed to be made. That's the start of the Facebook page then it's spread on to doing pictures of posture and what that means and now it then well then it grew into a website so the website took about six months to write um and I was getting up before work you'll be impressed with me I was getting up at work for work about three o'clock in the morning I try and do about four or five hours yeah. then I go work then I do my cases in the evening and then I keep doing that again and again and um we were talking earlier about how naive I was. I can remember you know, when we pressed launch, yeah, it took six months, so much energy and tears and finances uh, launch and just nothing happened. <laughs> you kind of like, ah, 
Hmm. I thought it would peddle itself, really. Marketing, marketing. I know. I just, I just, I guess because I was so consumed and I was, I'm, I'm always so involved in it. I just can't believe people don't know that they need this. You know, they, they need this. Well, and people don't yeah. know what, I mean, you know, you're sitting here talking like this and I'm going, oh my God, this is the story of dog trainers and PPG. I know yeah. you're telling people all the time, alpha is not a, an accurate philosophy for training dogs dogs do not want to dominate the world the dog won't steal your car keys and take your Porsche out <laughs> next door you know I mean and you say it over and over again and you realize and then people say well pet owners abuse their dogs most pet owners would never abuse or hurt their dog they just no. they just don't know what they don't know and it needs education but then yeah, I will. I took I took a phone call today, so I'm doing triage calls at the moment. Our practice is still open. I work up in Scotland. Um, I work at a practice where they let me do nothing bar arthritis, which is amazing. Right. Yeah. Um, however, what with the COVID, I'm back on the small animal rotor doing you no know, block bladders and you know, mm -hmm. socks. Dogs that be in socks. Yeah. But today it was my my job to be on the the phone taking triage calls, and a lady um. She was talking about her six month old dog that has been lame now for a week and they've tried resting it and they have stopped throwing the ball for now. And I was like, oh, do you throw the ball a lot? And she's like, yeah, yeah, we take out the ball chucker and we go and just wear him out. And I'm sitting there going, <laughs> I just, no. I mean, that, that's one of the myths that we need to get rid of. People say a tired dog is a good dog. And you can over, you can and many owners do completely inappropriately over exercise their dogs. I know, and I just, I, if I had parallel lives, I would sit there with a sandwich board outside major pet um, shop and retailers, just saying, please, would you not purchase these things? Because they're so readily available and they're brightly coloured and the people yeah. in the park are doing them. It's just second nature to yeah. buy one. Yeah. I hate them. I hate them. Well, I, I always remember a quote from Kay Lawrence. Um, and it was from a training, it must have been 10 years ago, and somebody was training a dog to spin. And she was talking about the right mechanics, and you'll, you'll figure out where I'm going with this in just a minute, because it does have to do with physiology. She was talking about having really accurate mechanics in teaching the dog to spin, so that their head's not up and their shoulder's not down. And she said, it's okay if you're only going to have a dog spin once or twice. But if you are going to teach a behavior that you are then going to ask that dog to do thousands of times over its lifetime, if the dog's deportment is not correct, you are going to do structural damage to the dog. And that's what I think about when I see these people on in pastures just tossing these balls in a robotic manner. Oh, back it comes, throw again. Back it comes, throw again. You think, fast stop come back fast start and you think that just cannot be healthy no 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 I totally agree and I think I think there's so much logic when you start actually talking about it I go oh yeah oh yeah light bulbs light bulbs so I was chatting to one of my clients today and he's got a I think he's about five years old he's a Labrador he's um shooting so he's a gun dog mm -hmm. and he's just been having stem cells because he's got lumbosacral disease he's got sciatica on his right because he's got um a narrowed intervertebral foramina on l5 l6 okay. so he's got a ner spinal nerve coming out that's being pinched um he's got uh, elbow arthritis he's got shoulder tendinopathies so we've um 
We've done, gone through quite a hefty workup, you know, so there's ultrasounds, x-rays, full clinical exam, musculoskeletal, let's say, um, and he's had stem cells. And he said to me, is, is he going to be able to go back shooting? And I said, yes, he is, but you need to lay the groundwork to get his core strength and his stamina and his proprioceptive skills back. So, you know, you can do these things like we humans we can do amazing things you know look at ice skaters and yeah. you know athletes what we can do with the human body is insane but they don't just go and do it right well and and as i was talking earlier about my dog that had um dysplasia at a very early age i when i got her as a runner i would go out and run quarter of a mile and then drop her off at home and then go on and do some more and i actually had an entire schedule for how we were going to build her up um, yeah, because I was very my vet said I got a Kelpie because I wanted a dog that could run and would have good endurance if if, tra if trained properly. But I yeah. have, but I have I used to have clients that would say, well, I've got to go to Collie and yeah, we've got her at three months and oh, she's running five miles a day with me. And I'm thinking, what at four months of age? No, she should not be running five miles a day. I mean, well, actually, that's really, that's really interesting. So, again, another plug for Cam. We had a brilliant, brilliant Facebook Live with Daryl Millis, who, if you don't know him, you need to know him. He is like the god of canine rehab. And he did a Facebook Live with us in January. He did one again recently. They're both excellent. And we were talking about where this five minute rule came from that the Kennel Club talk about for exercising young dogs. Five minutes, I think, per week you can add to their quota. And there's nothing. It's a bit like five fruit and veg a day. It's come from nowhere. It's just broad guidance yeah. because they actually have done quite a lot of work on young dogs beagles on treadmills about quantity and speed and then um, there was a study where i think it was i, I don't quote me because i can't remember figures but i think a beagle was put on a treadmill and it was doing something like 25k a day for 365 days you know it was insane and they were looking at cartilage mm -hmm. so it was a pretty right, cool study right. because these animals were then you know sadly euthanized but the cartilage did well the joints did wow. great it's wow. about it's about whether the joints are good joints mm -hmm. and they're formed correctly yeah. so yeah. that's a different kettle of fish but it's also about the the type of exercise so taking a dog out and you know doing predictable sagittal plane movement mm -hmm. and you're know, challenging it slightly yeah. with yeah. proprioceptive yeah. stuff um, is way different to having a dog at you know five six months old chasing a ball that's bouncing across right. an uneven field Right. totally different well and also i mean think about it when i run with my dog now i might be running a 10 minute mile and i'm sort of you know in a heart zone four and my dog's just barely breaking a stride you know she's like come on <laughs> let's, let's pick up the pace a bit you know i mean it's entirely yeah. different for them it's a it's entirely yeah. different no absolutely and i think unfortunately people just lump exercise under this one big like heading where actually it's it's quite an art to kind of work out you know what does your dog need right. there's um there's a new lady on the scene and um, i went and did a course with her yana um dogs for motion it's right. another interesting one yeah um, i think they're from no i can't remember anyway um she did a brilliant lecture recently at a conference in ghent called vepra and she said you will never get an agility person to train a dog to do things both ways. So if they always do the tunnel one way, if they always do a certain, you know, 
that's where the muscle memory comes in and that's what the training is it's yeah. a millisecond but what you can do is look at as you say the mechanics of that movement and choose another obstacle to reverse it to balance the dog out right and i thought wow that's actually really interesting isn't it because yeah. There's us who do rehab and the physiotherapists that are trying desperately to say to these people, balance them, balance them. You know, don't let them always turn one way. Yeah. But, you know, you've got to also allow them to be really good at their competition. And if the dog needs to do that obstacle within a min, you know, minute yeah. amount of time, yeah. they are always going to train it one way. Right. So you've yeah. got to think how to do things differently. In the same way that yeah. athletes do, you know, in the same way that an athlete will do. Um, yeah. You know, but you know how much of it also is like with people I mean, what how much of it is dna is just i mean with the puppy i had could could that have been contributed to by me running her early or could that have just been really bad dna or could it have just been or, or diet or intake of calories or is it so much. Of everything i mean what so there's so many influences um again another big plug for cam we interviewed um Tom Lewis from the Kennel Club. So he's their chief geneticist, quantitative geneticist. Mm -hmm. Brilliant, brilliant chat with him talking about um, the canine health schemes. Mm -hmm. So hip dysplasia and elbow dysplasia. And he did his PhD on hip dysplasia. And yes, there's a massive genetic component. They're massive, but it's not one gene. You know, yeah, there's yeah. many, many yeah. genes that they... Yeah. You know they're learning more and more about but so they do know that using these health schemes where you understand what your dog's score is and you know choose breeding partners appropriately is very very effective at reducing hip dysplasia but you do still throw rogues so you can have brilliant parents but you'll throw a rogue pup um, that's why they now do estimated breeding value where they look back into the line and have a better understanding through um, looking at the genetics down the line yeah, yeah so that was fascinating but yeah he he's very quick to say but there is other things that come into play you know if the dog has carried weight all of its life if it's jumping in and out of the back of the car we know that um environment does impact so they did a study in the netherlands and i think there was 1733 boxes mm -hmm. of all of a similar line um and they looked at the risk of congenital hip dysplasia mm -hmm. and the dogs that were reared on a slippery whelping box floor i believe that they were 1.3 times more likely to develop hip dysplasia so environment does just, play a role this is a, a, a compensation for traction and slipping yeah yeah wow yeah wow and then there was there's another study where it shows that if they're doing um stairs at a young age i think it was between something like um is it nine weeks and three months if they had um, easy access to stairs um an uncontrolled use of stairs right. they were more likely to develop hip dysplasia right. but it makes sense you know this yeah, is absolutely it, yeah yeah when when you stop and sort of think about it logically which unfortunately we don't tend to do do we i mean we just don't um no I mean, you know, I'm, sitting, no. I'm sitting here sort of going, oh, my God, because I live in, in Florida with tiled and wood floors with, you know, carpets around. And my dog, who's still a scallion, a puppy, Aussie, she runs in through the door and it's almost like she prepares to skid across the floor when she hits the rug. It's like, Whoa! 
and off she goes. Yeah, I, I would, I would probably be having minor heart failure in your house now, and that my my hatred for slippery floors has gone to the extreme. Right. And I know that I need to bite my lip, but I've just seen so many disasters on slippery floors, and not only when they have lost stamina strength and ability to balance and compensate which goes you know people right. think it's just a disease of the joint it's not mm -hmm. they lose the ability to know exactly where their foot is so their placement will be poor they're slow to react so they're right. going to slip and trip quick um but also i just see these young dogs and you are I get really upset on Facebook where you see people playing with toys like there's been that recent toilet roll jumping thing and there's dogs jumping over stacked up toilet rolls down like oh, yeah, hallways yeah, of tiled yeah, floors yeah and I just just no no <laughs> but um if you listen to Sarah and Sarah Heath another great Facebook live um she is a very very well-respected clinical behaviorist over here um she talks about flooring and in vet practices and whether it's a big component of fear so they've had um yeah. they've been in the vet practice the owners tried to control they've slipped it's pulled something's hurt they immediately associate that pain yeah. with that flooring with that experience that environment yeah. i think um i i personally think that our love of slippery floorings is you know hopefully in the next five to ten yeah. years people will become yeah. more aware yeah. that we're asking them to live on a surface that doesn't suit them so there i've got luna in bed with me and i've got um i'm just feeding her pads and they're they're just like you know those shitty stilettos that you wear yeah. and for some reason yeah. they put no grip on them what is that about so you go onto a dance floor don't you when you're yeah. a little bit bevied yeah. up and you have absolutely no traction whatsoever so i feel her pads and i go oh yeah they're those horrible stilettos aren't they because they're not they're not spider-man they're not suction right. cups and, and then, they're hyperkeratinized right. and then to compound that you get dogs like Aussies they get all the little fluffy hair that comes out in between the pads and it's oh. like, so it's like taking that stiletto and putting it on top of a chip bag you know like whoa off you go yeah i get told of the bike all the time because i i've turned into a park groomer and i might be doing a dog dental and they're like can you can you stop the feet and i'm like nope whilst it's under we will do nails we will trim all the fur away <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I just, I just think we need a, a more, a greater understanding, especially the free of charge, simple things that can be implemented at any part of that dog's life. Um, I was, I, I, I was just going to say that, and I was actually going to say to you, let, let's talk for a few minutes about that for people that are listening. What can we do? I mean, one of the things that I have just written down on my notepad while I'm talking to you is I am finally going to be motivated to get those damn rug stoppers that you put underneath your rug so that the rug doesn't. Yes whiz across the floor and every time I slip on it I go god I've got to get a rug stopper and now I'm thinking yes. my dogs deserve rug stoppers this is ridiculous so let's talk about the things that pet owners can do that can either prevent or alleviate so first of all make sure that flooring is that dogs can sort of move around the house without having to slide around the house so yeah I think I think get the geek on for it for a day Pretend that you're like Inspector Gadget and watch your dog and watch where they walk, how they walk, what they might hesitate at. Right. You know, we we fail to observe so much. And you might see a dog that instead of it just fluidly clearing itself onto the couch, it now checks itself. Yeah. And it, it thinks about the activity. Door frames. Oh, my goodness. We have um, white PVC door frames over here. And as a dog... Um, 
accumulates their musculoskeletal injuries because arthritis leads to compensatory change. So it leads to restricted, you know, capability. They try to step over a threshold that they used to do so easily, but now they can't quite reach. So they perch on it and then their foot slips away. Right. And they land. You know, have you ever stepped off a curb and you didn't see it coming and it jars all yeah. the way through your body and yeah. your neck into your head? Yeah. Um, so that's where I'm going to plug one of our, pro our products. We do anti-slip products. So we've got a range of tapes. And the idea behind it is that it's also a token into the cam world. So they buy the anti-slip tape. They um, maybe put it on the thresholds or some stairs or some high slip areas. But that packaging takes them into a world of learning. That's the plan. Um, and also, if they, if they change one thing in the house, why not change other things? And it will start the ball rolling. Yeah. yeah. Um, so definitely looking at your house. And I've been doing this long enough that I can strongly, with anecdotes, say lifestyle changes are so powerful. There is, they're a pain relief. They are a pain relief. And that's if you're trying to market it to an owner of why putting a rug down is important, say, well, it's part of the pain relief. It's right. it's a pain relieving tool. And they're like, oh, right. Now you say it like that. So that's one thing. I think another thing is really learn about exercise. I, I tell my owners probably 75 percent of the time I'm telling them to exercise less. Mm -hmm. I am. Um, Owners have a relationship with their dog. So at the moment in this COVID crisis, me and Luna are walking like four hours a day. So for me, if she was suddenly injured to have to long term reduce that quotient, it's going to have an impact on me and it's going to have an impact on my relationship with her. Right. And therefore, that actually needs quite a lot of time spent because owners fall back into their own habits mm -hmm. so easily. Yeah, yeah. And they have roots and they have quantities that they need for their own sanity so i find a lot of my owners over exercising and i have to really instruct them to rein it in and you know more often but little little amounts and then look at what kind of exercise you're doing with your dog um i i actually said something today which i was quite pleased with when dogs go out their brain almost becomes a little bit hedonistic right they um they have all suddenly the happy juices the outside so these are dogs that don't have any kind of like fear anxiety issues of the outside world but as soon as the door opens and luna's in the outdoor world she goes oh my god this is good and the brain fills with this happy happy composition of you know neurochemicals right that diminish pain so when she's in her happy place she doesn't feel what her body might actually be saying to her and that happens all the time. And we see people with these dogs that owners say, well, he's absolutely fine on walks, but when he gets home, he's really quite stiff. You're like, that's because he overdoes it on the walks. Yeah. yeah. So that would be another thing. How many do you want? How long have I got? I could be here well, all night. It's really, <laughs> it's really interesting because, you know, selfishly, I'm looking at this and I have a 13 year old Jack Russell Chihuahua mix in my house, Gizmo. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I and I and we walk the property and she one day she'll be and I have like a mini version of an agility course set up for her where the jumps are only about this high because if I yeah. if I leave them at her normal height she will still take them even yeah. even though I know she's in pain because she's reached a point where we have to have little steps everywhere for her to get on the sofa and get on the bed and yeah stuff like that 
And and if, if if my husband takes her out, sort of allows her to do certain, I'm going to blame my husband. If he takes her out and allows her to do certain, then the next day she's completely different. And and Rick said to me one day, he goes, yeah, it's almost like every other day. And I said, well, maybe then every other day she's doing too much. Maybe it's better to do less and do it consistently than do too much and take a day off, do too much and take a day off. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I am, um, as I said, I've been obsessed about it for years and I, I walk the dog thinking about these these psychological understanding. How can we how can we justify restricting a dog from doing what it wants to do in that moment in time and and be happy that it's the right thing to do? Right. Let work with me on this one. So we want our dogs to live with us for as long as possible. So our expectation of dogs' lifespan is much longer. And if we want to have, I want Luna with me for 16, 17 years, I've got to understand that her tissues need to be respected to do so. Now, let's go back 20, 30 years. I might have expected Luna to make it to 12. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you know, maybe I wouldn't need to protect her tissues too much. So how do I talk to owners where they're saying, don't you think that's a bit over the top? Don't you think you're being a bit Nancy? Don't you think they should just be a dog? And I'm like, well... That's fine if your expectations are, are lower. If you if you're uh, maybe he's a, a sheep farmer and, you know, he's fully expecting his dogs to only have a working life of seven, eight years. Right. Yeah, that's fine. But I, I don't have that. And the majority of owned dogs, publicly owned dogs, they do want them to be with us for as long as possible. So we therefore have to adapt the way that we manage them. Yeah. And. I don't think it's hard to just look at our routines and our lifestyles. It's, we're not spending money. You know, we're not talking yeah. about expensive supplements and expensive diets and expensive medications. This is practical. And if you look at the NICE guidelines, so over here, we have the National Institute for Clinical Excellence. And they they kind of bring the Cochrane review. They bring you know systemic reviews of different interventions mm-hmm. and go, so what really works for this disease, be it arthritis, be it diabetes? So this is for humans. And um, if you look at the human NICE guidelines regarding arthritis, it's lifestyle, lifestyle, lifestyle. And only later do you start introducing pain relief. Now, let's learn from this. We're going to the vet where they have no option but to offer pain relief. So have we not just missed countless opportunities to influence that dog way before that point? How can we get better? Well, we can learn to identify it earlier and we can have an expectation that I'm sorry, anybody listening to this, your dog will get arthritis. Mm-hmm. There's a big percentage of you, so 20% of the people following this, their dog will have arthritis even at the age of one, two, three years old. Anybody that's got a dog over eight, 80% of you, your dog's got arthritis. And these are underestimates. So first of all, we've got to deal with expectation. Your dog will get arthritis. Get your health checks, get your orthopedic assessments. Then during your dog's lifetime, be observant for the subtle signs. Don't wait for a limp. Don't wait for a lack of capability because we know dogs are amazing. And I know that Luna would come on a walk with me, even if her back legs were not working, she'd try to come with me. So we need to be going, do you know that subtle behavioral change, that subtle hesitation, that posture change, I'm going to work on that because I want to, you know, have my dog live a comfortable life for as long as possible. When you say it like that, I sound quite preachy. No, it's, no, it's pretty obvious. But let's be honest, most pet owners get a dog as a companion and they want a companion with them and they want a companion as long as possible. 
You know, I mean, yeah. we, we don't want our dogs dying at seven or eight. We think that's awful when our dogs leave us at that age. And, uh, you know, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of holistic nutritional vets will say that there's no reason my dogs should not be living until 16 and 17 if, if their lives are being managed properly. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. I really do. And I just think it's quite crazy because if you if you changed the people in the scenario and you had it as a mother and a child and right. that mother, you know, wouldn't just allow the kids to eat exactly what it wanted whenever it wanted and play with whoever it wanted and do everything to an extreme. Right. But for some reason, I think I think there's a belief that dogs will control themselves. They, they have their own inbuilt filter. They don't. Right. And they're not infallible either, are they? I mean, I, yeah, I'm, my husband thinks I'm too overly protective with my dog, but I am, um, I mean, like, we live on 24 acres and we have a canal on our property. We have a lake at the end that's got alligators in it and we have a natural spring-fed pond. Wow. And there's about three acres, there's about five acres of our land that my dogs don't go on because I, the odds of them getting grabbed by an alligator are pretty remote, but it's still, the, there's still odds there and it's not happening. So... You know, my husband was yeah. like, well, just, just let them run run down there. I'm like, no, absolutely not. No. Absolutely not. Because number one, I don't want to lose my dogs. Number two, I would be so traumatized by that. I would never forgive myself. It would significantly impact no. my entire life forever. All for the same. Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't want people. I don't want people kind of going away, going, oh, my God, she wants everybody to wrap their dogs in cotton wool and do nothing with them. That's not it at all. Right. I think there's just some really practical things. Like, okay, so I use a really inappropriate analogy, um, but I, I love it. Yeah. So if you, if you were a mother of a child that maybe had a drug addiction mm -hmm. and he was going, I, I want that, I want that, I want that, I want that, and that expression, that frustration, I need it, I need it, I need it. You go, whoa, whoa, I, I'm not going to let you have that. This, this We've got to deal with this. But you see it with dogs. Right. Um, ball, further ball, further ball, further ball. And you're like, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. Is this right? Is your brain in a completely different space at the moment? And yeah. is this actually not appropriate for yeah. you? Yeah. So I don't know. I'm, I guess I'm, I'm over the years, I've become a little bit more opinionated about things because I really do want the average man with the average price you know um, pocket size with the average you know expectations of dog ownership to be able to have a dog live comfortably for as long right. as possible well I think it's like, I think it's like everything I mean I, d I don't have children so I'm not an expert in any way but you know speaking to parents it's a measured approach isn't it it's it's a yeah. balance between allowing dogs to be dogs and live their lives but also not enabling them to do things that are self-destructive when they can still have a good quality of life and not do those things and yeah I agree. And as the adult in the relationship, we have to take on the responsibility of managing that. We can't expect them to in the way that we wouldn't expect our children to make those types of decisions because they, they're not the adult in the relationship. So No, I agree. Yeah. And I think it's, it's totally possible. Like, so in my lifespan, lifetime, lifespan, lifetime, um, harnesses, you know, when I grew up, dogs were still wearing choke chains, mm -hmm. you know, and it's since I've been a vet, I've watched more and more people i'd say the majority of people that come to me now the dog's in a harness rather than a collar right i think about dog coats you know last year i was driving around going holy cow so many dogs now wear coats in the winter yeah and that's that must be in the last five years so this change in understanding and this change in approach is possible and that's what cam's trying to do is um believe it or not the color scheme is supposed to be trendy you know the graphics are supposed to be fun where we have um, 
who we are and we're, we're light-hearted we're simplistic we're about team we're about free education you know about learning about um as i say just trying to make it available for everybody oh, and there's some fabulous that's, resources i was going to actually talk to the website because i think there's some great resources on there i mean there's some great education there's great downloads i mean i'm looking at sort of the management page right now in terms of the, the pyramid and the things that you can do in terms of environmental adaptions and nutrition and the complementary therapies. And I think what, what has resonated with me today, listen, we're going to have to get you back on in the future because I think there's so much to explore here. Is So much. <laughs> I mean, but, but I mean, how true is it that with humans, they, they, they make lifestyle changes to accommodate, accommodate, accommodate. And then when it gets to the point where with all those lifestyle changes and management and antecedent control, the pain still needs um, pharmacological intervention. And I think, and like you said, it's life, life, pain. I mean, you know, how many things, I mean, if I was a pet, I am a pet owner, but if I was bringing a new dog into my home now, knowing what I know just from the small short conversations we've had and sort of exploring the website and the webinar, I would be looking at some of these lifestyle things right off the bat, not as the dog yeah. is, as preventative as well as recognizing, yeah. um, you know, I mean, like you said, we're all going to get arthritis. I mean, when I sort of panic when my doctor said, oh, you've got arthritis, um, well, everyone gets arthritis. If you, if you live long enough, you're going to get arthritis. It's yeah, and I think I just want to potentially stop people thinking about a way that you're totally right what you've just said, but there's also pain is unique. So when people come to us, they always see it as a pyramid building pain, you know, so mm -hmm. so they go, right, first of all, I'll do lifestyle, then I'll do, you know, supplements, I'll do diet, and I'll, I'll do complementary therapies, and then only then will I ever use pain relief. No, no, no. Your dog in front of you, it's their pain, it's their individual experience, you tailor your approach to your dog. So some people, unfortunately, may require medication earlier with the view to come off of it and rely on the right. supplements and the interventions. And other people might be able to get away with lifestyle introduction and that's, you know, they only use medication later. But something that comes up on Holly's Army, which is our community, community group, which is a beautiful place, please go there, it's fantastic mm -hmm. that's a whole conversation right um we see it time and time again people arrive and they're like i really hello hello i'm back um, <laughs> yep, lost your they, oh I've, I've got a friend phoning me um yeah. then the problem is when people um have that attitude mm -hmm. they're not the ones experiencing the pain Right. And they're, they're, they're putting their beliefs and their wishes before what actually the dog is experiencing. Um, you're going to put the webinar up with this, aren't you? Um, we talk about central sensitization in there a bit. Um, I'm more than happy to come back to the PPG and talk more about pain. I might even get some of my um, very, very clever friends to come with me <laughs> because I think it would really, really help um, people that are in the dog training world to understand it because it isn't just a rising temperature scale so it isn't going from cool warm to hot yeah it's very individual and to learn to be able to read and understand pain and tailor to that dog is really important sorry that was just my little soapbox no, moment well, no that's absolutely fine now listen before we go because we, obviously we can't stay here all day i'd love to because i do have i still have about 30 questions i want to ask you but what I i'll come back I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely going to invite you back because I'd love to have you back. I've really enjoyed talking to you. But I do want to make sure that everyone knows um, how to get to the website. And I have to tell you, there's some really cool stuff on this website. 
not just from an educational perspective, but there's a really cool store here as well. And I love the Be Nice I'm Arthritic bandanas. I think they're fabulous. Oh my God, they're amazing. Yeah. They're amazing. So I love those. And, and from a dog trainer's perspective, that equates to the bandanas that some people put on their dogs to say, um, you know, please don't pet me or please don't approach. So that reactive dogs and dogs that are a little bit grumpy can still go out and enjoy time without having people forcing themselves on them. So I, I really love those. But there's some great stuff on here. So before we go, Hannah, I want you just to give me two or three ways that people can support CAM. What can they do? Well, first of all, they can refer clients to you. They can refer people. They can learn so they're able to help coach clients to recognize the onset. They can go to the store. What else can they do? How can people donate or help CAM so it can carry on its mission? Okay, so there's a hashtag that I really want people to start using globally, and it's Your Dog More Years. And um, right. we have it on beanies, we have it on bum bags, hoodies, everything. I um, My heart absolutely soared a few months ago where at an agility competition, three people were wearing the cam hoodie and they took a photo of themselves they'd never met before. And they all bumped into each other in the teal hoodie and they took a photo and sent it to me. So the word is getting out there. Right. That's um, fabulous. So, yeah, so we want people to wear this so that you can start the conversation. People will say, what does your dog more years mean? And you can say, well, actually, did you not realize arthritis is a really big problem? And it's the leading cause that we put dogs to sleep. So do you know how you can help your dog? So that would be something. I think the next thing, as you say, is use the resources. We've now got a YouTube channel and we need subscribers. We need followers because that's how we will then hopefully be able to finance this beast because we try and remain independent. So that means that we can't take sponsorship from drug companies or from supplement companies. Don't get me wrong, yeah. they would want in there because yeah. we make some really good resources. But we need to try and um, you know, basically keep our independence. So we have to source finances to keep this beast going in different ways. And subscribing and therefore us being able to use like YouTube adverts will be a way forward for that. Okay. Um, next, I think, is use the owner modular workshop course. So we've price pointed it. It's only $9.99 at the moment, so that's 10 UK pounds. Um, and it's way cheaper than a consult. And if you were to quantify how much information as a vet to an owner I've put in there, right. it's four hours divided into eight modules. So it's probably about six consultations in one online course right now all the money made from that goes straight back into cam okay so we we don't have you know money disappearing on admin it goes straight back into cam and helps us grow and that's our plan because we need to rebuild the website we've learned a lot there's a lot more to be put in there um that needs to come down within the next year and be completely revamped so if there's a benefactor listening here who thinks, oh my God, I want to help this team of amazing people over in the UK creating this, then please get in touch. <laughs> and I, I have some ideas, and I think you and I should meet, because I have some ideas I'd like to share with you about how uh, we can help. So yeah, okay, so let's just, so before we go, let's just summarize. So there's your website, which I've got all the details for that, which are gonna come straight after this little segment. There's the store, there's the owner module course, there is the YouTube channel, and we'll also make sure everyone gets the information on all of that, all of those um, materials as well. Fabulous. Yes. Fabulous. All right, well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure.
just hold on, don't go anywhere fast. If you want to support CAM and their mission, visit their website, go to the CAM store, there's some really cool stuff for both people and pets. And as a PPG member, you get a discount, so listen on. Canine Arthritis Management is a vet-led education service for owners and pet professionals. Osteoarthritis has been reclassified a welfare concern and acknowledged as a leading cause of premature elective euthanasia. It's a complex and common disease that is often overlooked as simply aging or slowing down. It frequently underlies unwanted behaviours and results in a poor quality of life for dog and owner. CAM believes that education is the key to changing this, and if you support CAM by sharing posts or redirecting your clients to their evidence-based online resources, you can help CAM achieve their goals. As PPG members, you have a special discount code that will get you 10% off all their shop products. Visit your PPG member area to access this code. You can also visit www.canineArthritis.co.uk to learn more about the organisation and how you can support them. Thank you for listening. That's us for the day. To learn more about the Pet Professional Guild, visit www.canineArthritis.co.uk petprofessionalguild.com and remember have fun training